the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Welcome to Panhandle Live on the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST. Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg. And it is Panhandle Live for this Monday, the 26th day of February 2024, as always. Broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kerchival Building, and as always, Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads, Ty Arnato. Tell you a little bit more about them later on in the broadcast. Of course, you tune into this uh, broadcast at PanhandleNewsNetwork.com, WEPM Martinsburg, WCST Berkeley Springs as well. I know our brethren out in Morgan County probably still recovering <laughs> from the International Water Tasting Festival that happened over the weekend, and we'll talk about those winners and talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But with one, uh, of, the, with, with, uh, one of the judges, exactly. Yeah, I I, I can't imagine that uh, uh, I'm as well hydrated as anybody from from Morgan County is waking <laughs> up on this Monday, but Marsha Kowalik might be. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? All right. It was a good, uh, productive weekend in terms of catching up on sleep and not productive in terms of any other category. But, you know, sometimes those are the best weekends. I, you know, sleep was a priority this weekend, but I also got three loads of laundry done. So I'm looking for my gold star, but it never comes. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully also having a productive uh, beginning to her week is our next guest, Stephanie Stout, Region 2 Regional Drug Control Policy Coordinator. Welcome in. Hi, how are you guys? Yes, We're good. So, uh, you having a good week so far? So far, I think the warm weather that's coming yes. is the most inspirational thing I'm seeing for the week. Absolutely, Absolutely. yeah. When when we were like, oh, it might get in the fifties. Ooh, it might get up to sixty. Yeah, that's yeah. exciting for the finally, time of year, right? <laughs> so, uh, how's how are things going? What are the numbers looking like for you guys? Um, so I just wanted to share. So for Berkeley County, we have the twenty eight suspected overdoses through the OD map, which those aren't finalized through the coroner's report through and the state. How how uh, what kind of um, time range are we looking at here? This is for the month of February. Okay. So from the first until today. Gotcha. Um, one of the great things to hear is there have not been any fatalities. Mm. So that increase in access to Narcan, the Narcan boxes or Nalox boxes that we have across Berkeley County, I believe, are helping. We have one at the hospital, one at the day report center, one at the recovery resource center, and then one at the recovery center, the crisis stabilization unit, which used to be Paloma. And a person can just go and get yep, it's just It's just like a small newspaper vending machine. They just go in, they grab what they need. There's no questions asked, no training that needs to be provided now that it's over the counter. Um, and all the directions are on the box, in the box, in the individual nasal sprays i mean you can't go wrong so um i I interrupted you in the middle of your of your numbers but these are going in a positive direction absolutely absolutely i mean when we look back historically multiple fatalities throughout the years people that were losing to the opioid epidemic and we're seeing such a major decrease in those fatalities I know this is might be a little bit of a difficult to answer question, but for people that are unfamiliar with exactly what constitutes an overdose, I mean, is there a specific, you know, medical uh, differential between somebody that's just abusing drugs that actually leads up into an overdose? I mean, what makes drug abuse become an overdose? So an overdose becomes an overdose when you see the warning signs, such as purple fingertips, lips, mm. 
um, pinned pupils, and they're unresponsive. At that point, that's when somebody that carries Narcan can administer, and they always call 911, of course, with the strength of the different drugs, narcotics that we have on the streets right now, including the fentanyl. Um, sometimes it takes multiple doses. Mm. So our guest this morning is Stephanie Stout, Region 2 Regional Drug Control Policy Coordinator. Uh, we have talked about this before, but I think it bears mentioning that now that a lot of folks have naloxone and can kind of circumvent uh, overdoses, uh, in their homes and not report them, uh, it could create issues with providing additional resources for folks in the community. That's why you guys have other ways that an individual, if they know that someone in their circle has overdosed, they can report those, right? Yes. And so one of the things that we're doing through Potomac Howland's Guild is we have a actual QR code that goes on our boxes of Narcan so that if an individual gets that Narcan and maybe they have an overdose that they've used Narcan and they haven't called EMS, they can actually scan that with their phone. They can do a completely anonymous four-question survey that then gets automatically sent to us to record that. And, and I wanted to go back to a point that you made just a second ago. So you're saying that sometimes with the severity of some of the drugs, fentanyl included, that people have to use, in some instances, Narcan more than once to revive a person? Is that what you said? Yes, yes. Okay. And, we've, and we've seen this historically over the past years where the strength of the different drugs, the street drugs, um, it takes multiple doses. Wow. And sometimes, so one of the reasons when I am distributing Narcan, I don't just give one box that has two doses in it. I usually give at least three, so that's six doses that someone can have on hand in the event that maybe... It takes 12 minutes for EMS to arrive because you can give that um, Narcan every two minutes until you see resolve. And if you don't, you can continue to give it until EMS arrives. So if somebody that's listening that uh, decided that they wanted to go out and, and they have Narcan, they've never used it personally, what you're saying is don't just use it once. If you've come across somebody that's overdosed, continue to use it every two minutes every until two EMS minutes. arrives. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's important to know. Mm, yeah, Absolutely. So um, I guess one of the questions that I always have with you, um, we don't get the kinds of reports that you get, obviously. And sometimes I know you can tell kind of what's coming down the pike because you're seeing it in some of the regional bigger cities. Uh, is there anything that folks need to be concerned about here locally right now? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because we actually have a summit coming up on the first. It's the Xylazine Summit. This is one of the emerging emerging threats that we're not only seeing here, but across the United States. Um, xylazine is a veterinarian medicine that's used as a sedative with analgesic and muscle relaxant properties, and it increases the effects of the illicit substances at a very much lower cost. When it's mixed with the opioids, um, it just it slows the breathing. It really yeah. hires the risk at overdose is this the zombie drug like they didn't is that the one that they refer to as the zombie drug that has been deemed it by quite a handful of people um zombie drug the frankenstein drug we try to stick with the names that you know right sure. obviously yeah just for stigmatization reasons i just remember well from a you know concerned mom kind of point of view i i saw a, a photo uh, layout in uh, one of the publications recently someone photojournalist went to philly mm -hmm. and and uh was you know just taking pictures of folks on the street who were 
you know, under the influence of that or had been under the influence of it. And, and it looks terrifying. Yes, it absolutely does because um, individuals are totally unaware that they may literally be folded over standing, but un, unresponsive. They're, they just are, they look like a puppet. It's amazing. So um, this conference that you're having at the beginning of, of March, I guess, um, is that open to the public or is that just something you guys, professionals who, who deal with this, will be talking about? So it? we have invited the professional community, but we also have opened it up to community members. Um, you can go on Marshall's website where they offer trainings and it's on there. Um, it's on the Opioid Response Network. Has They have it on their website as well because they are hosting it for us. And one of the reasons we wanted to bring it to the panhandle is because we see a lot of trainings that are down in Charleston. They're in Flatwoods. They're in Wheeling. Um, and I feel like the panhandle is sometimes forgotten. But we have a major issue here. And to educate our people and bring people up here to the panhandle to see some of the innovative things that we're doing as a community, I think, is important. So what else do you want to let the uh, listeners know? Is there anything... Uh, that's hitting the streets besides, you know, the, the um, xylazine, xylazine, xylazine um, that you want to let folks know about? Um, I mean, there are some other synthetics that we're seeing. And of course, um, just talking with some of the community me- members, such as law enforcement, you know, we see cycles with the drug trends. Um, right now, we're seeing the stimulant use, methamphetamines increase in our area. And apparently this happens every five to 10 years. So everybody's preparing for what that looks like. Um, How can we effectively offer treatment to these individuals? Because the treatment that you have for a stimulant use disorder versus an opioid use disorder is very different. And uh, I know you also wanted to give some updates on the quick response team in Jefferson County. Yeah, so um, the quick response team has been up and running since September slow start, but we've had 30 inbound referrals since that time, which is very, very, yeah, it's, it's just amazing considering we aren't actually on board receiving information from EMS or law enforcement yet. That's been a slow process to get to where we need to be. Um, out of those 30 referrals, we've had 17 connected to treatment. Hmm. That's a big deal. Um, that's over 50% of the referrals that we've received. And how does that look like when you guys are out? Is that you're going in after an overdose or you see someone out on the street who looks like they might be struggling? What does that look like? There's various methods. So we do outreach sometimes to our unhoused camps and we interact with individuals that sometimes they need medical care. Sometimes they're ready to make a change and we're able to take them directly to the hospital. Sometimes it's local providers reaching out to us. They have an individual that maybe exceeds what they can do in their office. And then of course we have peers at the hospitals reaching out to us um, sometimes just to be that peer support that somebody needs. And through that relationship building, then we, we get to the point where maybe they want medically assisted treatment or detox or residential inpatient treatment. I know you worked a lot with recovery resources here in Berkeley County for a number of years. So if someone is listening and they think there's someone in my circle family uh, who might be struggling, what are some good first steps? Well, you know, there's a lot of different resources, not only here, but across the state. The recovery resource center is a viable option for Berkeley County. 
And Jefferson County, the quick response team is trying to mimic some of those things so that it's locally being given to the community members. But there's also the 1844 Help for West Virginia hotline. They are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, you know, you can chat with somebody via text. You can go to their online site. You can talk with them on the phone. So any way that you can think of communicating, whether you're the loved one or you're the person that's seeking help, there's somebody there that can help you. Was there anything from the the legislative session potentially, you know, I know uh, opioid settlement money is going to be in the hands of a lot of people here in the near future. Was there any legislation as well that you might have been keeping an eye on that might help to combat some of these issues in the panhandle? Well, I would just have to say that there are some bills that are not supportive of the work that we're trying to do as far as harm reduction goes, reducing infectious diseases, and then even with our, incar- our car- incarcerated population and the possibility of um, bills not being set in a fair, a fair uh, whatever you want to call it, for one person, instead being based on the charges. So there's a couple different bills that I'm keeping an eye on, not necessarily that would affect any of the treatment mm-hmm. process, but may affect the community as a whole and a lot of the population that I work with. Stephanie, anything else? No, that is that is all I have for you today. <laughs> well, very good. Stephanie Stout has been our guest this morning. As always, we appreciate the work you do in the community, and we appreciate you coming in and giving us the time. Yes, thank you guys so much. We've got a break to take. We'll continue the show in just a couple of moments, so stay tuned. It's Panhandle Live. Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg, it's Panhandle Live on the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Live. Panhandle Live is always driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full-service auto care with a higher level of care. With two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville, online to at countryroadstire.com. Today, Luke Wiggs and Marsh Cavalla hanging out with you. As I mentioned a little bit later on in the show, we're going to talk to somebody that actually took part in the historic uh, water-tasting festival that happened in Berkeley Springs over the weekend. Some West Virginia, some local water honored in the best municipal water category that was won by Santa Ana, California. Harper's Ferry checks in at number five um, in that list. Some of the other lists for West Virginia uh, names that finished. Is it oh, Lesage? Is that how you pronounce that? Yes. Les- and then, um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, for best purified drinking water, they came in at second. Berkeley Springs water came in at number five. That was a category that was won uh, by St. Kitts and Nevis of the West Indies, which is uh, pretty spectacular. So those were kind of the two local ones that jumped off the And page. then there was Little Orleans, uh, which is the uh, new hold on, non-carbonated water. Oh, there you go. So, so uh, congratulations really to them. Cool. Absolutely. Um, and we'll be talking about somebody that was uh, – there, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Danielle Hedges will join us a little bit later on in the show. Uh, and you can find this uh, more information on it in a complete article at PainHandleNewsNetwork.com. It links to the press release as well, so you can uh, get in there and read everything about all the winners. Again, Santa Ana, California, winning Best Municipal Water, Best Non-Carbonated Water was El Dorado Springs in Colorado. Uh, somebody from New Zealand winning Best Sparkling Water, uh, the West Indies. As we mentioned, we're rec- uh, a finisher as well. And then uh, from Bland, Virginia, the Wilderness Mountain Water Company for the People's Choice for Package Design. 
We'll talk about that as well. A couple of things we want to hit on really quickly because we do need to get to our bottom of the hour and get our next guest on the air. Uh, Marsha, former Berkeley County Sheriff Nathan Harmon, um, is withdrawing his candidacy to potentially get his own job back. Which leaves in the primary uh, current Sheriff Rob Blair and uh, Dave David Jones is the uh, two primary uh, candidates in that race. So um, that'll be kind of an interesting primary battle as well. Also, second uh, major accident happening on 340 South uh, in two days. There was one that uh, halted morning commuter traffic on Friday. And then according to the journal on Saturday, there was an accident that resulted in two fatalities near Ripon on 340 South. Um, and I know looking at the write-up for that, and then of course the information that Morgan County Sheriff Casey Bohr gave us about that tractor trailer accident, uh, two miles east of uh, Paw Paw the other day, these uh, appeared to be driver error. Mm. So um, I remember uh, interviewing a, a sheriff once, and the sheriff said when the weather starts to warm up, people don't drive as carefully. Now, I don't know if this was the case in, in either of these, um, but it, it stands to reason when it's bad weather out, people are a little more careful. And now that the weather's starting to warm up, please drive carefully. Absolutely. I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention we've got another sports article coming out today as we turn our attention to uh, high school basketball postseason play, girls regionals this week, boys sectional play begins. We'll have an ar- article previewing the boys' side of things coming out a little bit later on today, PanhandleNewsNetwork.com. And starting tomorrow, We've got seven live games over the next five days here on WEPM and WCST and another and hopefully more depending on how far Berkeley Springs is able to go into the postseason on Cool 92.9 beginning this Tuesday at 7 o'clock. They'll take on Kaiser. We'll talk a little bit more about that on Panhandle Sports Live, which you can hear 8.05 to 9 a.m. every morning on these same stations. Break to take as we've reached the bottom of the hour. We'll get to our next guest on the other side, so stay tuned. It's Panhandle Live. We're talking about the issues that matter most to you now. Back to Panhandle Live. And your texts are always appreciated at 304-263-4321. Luke Wiggs, Marsha Kovalik with you here on a Monday. And Marsha, our next guest joins us via phone. That's right. Joshua Higginbotham is a former West Virginia State delegate, but he has put his hat in the ring for West Virginia uh, Agriculture Secretary. So welcome in, sir. Hi, good morning. So good to be here with you all. Good morning. So, uh, what what uh, prompts someone to run for this particular office? <laughs> well, that's a really great question. Uh, again, I'm Joshua Higginbotham, the Republican candidate for Agriculture Commissioner. Uh, I put uh, almost six years in the state legislature. Uh, I had the opportunity to travel around to other states, about ten other states, uh, when I was in several leadership roles in the House, uh, to visit with the secretaries of education, the secretaries of agriculture and the heads of, of different infrastructure organizations in 10 other states. And I can tell you that West Virginia is so far behind. Uh, we are producing less agricultural product now than at any other point in our state's history since 1863. So do you uh, have any, any, is there a reason for that that you can think of? Or is land being mm-hmm. bought up for subdivisions? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You have uh, national corporations like BlackRock coming in and buying large swaths of family farms in this country. Uh, I call those uh, woke corporations that are buying large amounts of land, and they're just sitting on the land. They're not uh, in the eastern panhandle. I know that they're uh, developing it into uh, residential areas, but in other parts of the state, they're just sitting on it, waiting for it to gain in value. 
and, and it would be different if they're developing it in other parts of the state, uh, but oftentimes they're just sitting on it, taking good agricultural land and, and doing nothing with it. So what do you recommend? I mean, could there be partnerships? Could these uh, large corporations be, um, you know, encouraged to lease out the land that they've bought up? Or would you rather see this kind of purchase not happen in the first place? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, first of all, the only type of uh, land purchases that I plan on working to ban is uh, preventing uh, companies tied to communist China from buying farmland in in this state. Uh, they're buying hundreds of thousands of acres in our country. Uh, so I would start by banning uh, Chinese uh, companies from buying land here. And then I would also work with American companies to make sure that they're actually developing that land properly. Um, but I think the priority should be encouraging young people to get into farming. Uh, it's, it's not an incredibly profitable business unless you're doing it right. And so we have to make sure that young people want to stay in these rural communities and not just sell their parents or grandparents' farmland to out-of-state corporations. So that's the that's the start. Well, obviously, people around the country have raised the concerns about, like you mentioned, companies with with ties to China buying up land across the United States. But is there verifiable evidence of that happening in West Virginia? Yeah. So uh, the, obviously, communist China, the, their government is not buying land here. What they're doing is. Uh, Chinese firms, which are funded by the Chinese Communist Party, uh, are investing in different companies in our country, uh, and then those companies are buying the land directly. So it's not a direct, uh, their government is buying land, Uh, but what's happening is they're doing it by proxy, essentially. So so they're they're one step removed. Um, And we've we've seen this happen with uh, companies like TikTok. Uh, we've all heard about the, the U.S. government talking about banning the the app TikTok. Um, is it a Chinese Communist Party-owned company? No, but the the company has ties to Chinese Communist firms. So it, they're smart about it in that they have one step removed directly from the Chinese government. But I think everybody who understands national security and policy knows that that is way too much influence by the Chinese government. Our guest this morning is Joshua Higginbotham. He's um, running for Commissioner of Agriculture here in West Virginia. I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, if you go over to Metro News, there's an article, uh, one of the first things that you see, um, related to uh, Allegheny Wood Products uh, in Grant County. They uh, announced last week, kind of abruptly, they're laying off uh, their workforce, uh, 600 folks affected here uh, in West Virginia. So is that something as commissioner of agriculture, you would be uh, able to to uh, have any impact on? Sure, sure, absolutely. So forestry is a form of agriculture. Um, you know, it, it, it is a it is a an agricultural product that doesn't just happen every season. It, of course, takes many decades to, to be able to harvest that crop. Um, but uh, forestry is a form of agriculture. And so um, yes, we would absolutely have influence in that. Uh, and I, as I understand it, uh, they were that company was about to be bought out, and there were some financing issues, and the deal ended up falling through at the last minute, uh, as I understand it. And I know that some at the state level were involved in trying to save that company, and, and they have failed at, at doing that. Uh, what we have to do is have the Department of Agriculture come in and mediate some kind of deal between uh, another buyer and Appalachian Wood Products. That, that is the only way you can save it. 
because they weren't able to, unfortunately, they weren't able to uh, sustain their business uh, in state. Uh, They're going to have to to look elsewhere for uh, investors. And I believe that the Department of Agriculture, when I am uh, Commissioner of Agriculture, will be able to mediate uh, and broker some kind of deal like that. Well, I wanted to ask you a question, sir, that uh, came from our text line. A, a texter raised the issue about farmland affordability, uh, saying that here in the eastern panhandle, you, you can't buy half an acre for under $200,000, and wanted to know what could be done to potentially make farmland more affordable for people, like you mentioned, that might be an enterprising young individual that wants to start their own farm. I mean, what can there, is there anything that could be done to make farmland more affordable in West Virginia? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's a, that's a great question. We're having the same problem down here in the Charleston area where I live. Uh, I live in Kanawha County, and my family farm, it's been in our, our family for many decades, and we have about 900 acres. We have uh, 120 longhorn cows. We have about 300 of those acres, our corn, soy, and wheat. And we've seen that property value uh, essentially triple in value uh, because uh, companies like Nucor and Berkshire Hathaway and Toyota have come in and bought a lot of land, which has seen uh, uh, the value of that land skyrocket. Uh, it's normally a good problem to have. Uh, I know you all are facing it in the eastern panhandle as well, uh, but it's really pricing farmers out of the market. Uh, so the, the best things to do, uh, are, number one, to encourage young people to get into agriculture, focus on FFA, Skills USA, and 4-H, uh, and, and show them a path, educate them on the path to being a profitable farmer. It is profitable. Uh, and if they don't see that they can make money off of it, they're just going to sell their parents and grandparents' land uh, to property developers who might just sit on the land. Uh, we have to show them that there is a way to make money, and that is through education. You mentioned your family has has a large farm. Um, what kind of on the ground boots on the ground experience do you have in agriculture? Yeah, so my very first job from the time I was ten years old all the way through high school was working on my family's cattle farm uh, during the summers, after school, and on the weekends. Uh, and it taught me a lot of really hard work. Uh, you know, I I would like to think that it made me the man that I am today, uh, having that that hard work. Uh, those those values that I only learned from my family and, and working on our farm is really what makes West Virginia agriculture great. Uh, being able to say that you've been there in the trenches, you've been out literally in the fields, uh, is what we need as an agriculture commissioner. How much um, pull would a commissioner of agriculture have in some of the in in mitigating some of the uh, outside influences, I know you mentioned you know that land being brought up by, uh, bought up by um, out of state, sometimes out of country uh, entities. But um, when it comes to you know impacting local farmers, local ag interest, agritourism, what kinds of efforts can an ag commissioner in a state like West Virginia um, have in mitigating some of those impacts? Sure, sure. So it kind of sounds like, uh, if I'm assuming correctly, you're talking about the uh, the solar development that's occurring in the eastern Panhandle. It seems like you're alluding to that, um, and and we're we're definitely keeping an eye on on that issue there in the eastern Panhandle in Berkeley and Jefferson counties. Um, so there is a lot of mediation that can occur by the Department of Agriculture. The the Commissioner of Agriculture can certainly uh, negotiate and mediate some of those deals. 
Uh, we don't want to give up local control, and the last thing we want to do is give up private property rights. So I don't want to get in the way of a farmer making a private agreement or selling their property to a company. I, I want to allow property owners to do what they want with their land. That is their right. As a capitalist, as a free market conservative, that is my belief. Uh, however, I don't want them to feel like they're being forced to do it because of um, because of a uh, zoning issue or because they can't afford the property taxes. So that is something the Department of Agriculture can do is, again, mediating, negotiating deals, working with those local governments and soil conservation districts and county commissioners to, to alleviate some of those pressures to sell that farmers and, and small landowners have. Do you feel as though it's a strength, you know, the time that you spent in state legislature, you know, if elected, you'd be able to work uh, through personal experience with legislatures to potentially pass things that y you feel could benefit agriculture in the state? Yeah, I absolutely do. So I served as chairman of the Economic Development Committee in the state legislature. I served as vice chairman of our education committee. Uh, so I worked with all of the development authorities in our counties and, and at our local levels. Uh, I worked with all of the superintendents on making sure that we have FFA in 49 counties. Uh, I helped to accomplish that in the legislature. And since I've been out on the campaign trail, I've already been to all 55 county courthouses. I've met with hundreds upon hundreds of local uh, mayors, city council members, county commissioners, sheriffs, talking about the issues just in the last couple of months. And uh, I feel that we have an advantage going into this election. And the polling that we've conducted shows that we are winning. Joshua Higginbotham is with us. He is running for commissioner of agriculture. Wanted to ask you a question. Uh, we had uh, on Metro News, Hoppy had on talk line some folks from Hardy County uh, during the legislature, and uh, they were talking about a concern they had that uh, some of the waterways might not be well protected in a county uh, in, in regard to small-time farmers whose uh, – you know, water aquifers might be kind of sucked up by the larger interests. Do you have your eye on that? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've heard uh, rumblings of, of this issue. I don't know the specifics of what's going on in Hardy County, so I haven't seen that hoppy, uh, that hoppy story. Um, but, uh, again, I'll tell you, property rights are vital to our economy. Property rights are a huge part of my platform and why I'm running. Uh, and people have the right to... The water that's on their property, the spring water, they have the right to uh, the waterways uh, that cut through their property, uh, and they have the right to do with it as, as they see fit, as long as it is not impacting other people. Um, we had, uh, back during the Obama administration, the Waters of the U.S. ruling that uh, our Attorney General Patrick Morrissey was able to fight uh, for um, making sure that West Virginia's water rights were protected. Uh, and that is that is absolutely critical to farmers, uh, and that is absolutely critical to, to property developers as well, because we want to strike that balance where people can develop their land the way they see fit, uh, but also we want to make sure that people can grow food here as well. For people that want to learn more about uh, your candidacy and just in general, where can they find more information? Sure. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, uh, or X, LinkedIn, and uh, Instagram. People can follow the campaign uh, our account is at Higginbotham, the number four WV, Higginbotham four WV. Uh, they can reach out to me. I've 
sent about 50,000 text messages to folks in the Eastern Panhandle. Uh, so quite literally, everybody has my phone number out there. So uh, I'm exaggerating, but uh, a lot of people can reach me in, in many different ways. Very good. Well, Joshua Higginbotham is our guest this morning. Uh, sir, we really appreciate you giving us the time. Happy to be on. Thanks again. Absolutely. And thanks uh, again for him coming on. That's uh, Joshua Higginbotham is a candidate for the Secretary of Agriculture here in the Mountain State. You heard that question about water at the end. That's going to be the topic of discussion in our next segment as Danielle Hedges will be a guest to uh, recap what happened in the 34th International Water Tasting Festival in Berkeley Springs. So don't go anywhere. It's Panhandle Live. You're listening to Panhandle Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. Welcome back. Final segment of the week of Panhandles, or not the week, the day. My goodness, it's just Monday. It's Monday here in the WEPM and WCSD studios. That says so much about your (laughs) attitude as the week begins. That's where my head is going into our busiest sports weekend of the year. But it was a busy weekend out in Morgan County uh, this weekend, wasn't it, Marsha? It it was. And uh, having done this last year, I can only imagine how uh, jam-packed her Saturday was. Joining us are from our sister station, 92.9 WXDC, Daniel Hedges, who was a judge at the 34th International Water Tasting Festival in Berkeley Springs. Welcome in. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So I, I, I guess Luke already asked you off, off mic, uh, do you feel well hydrated? <laughs> I do. I do. I drink a lot of water. <laughs> so, um, so how was it? Um, it was interesting. I am a water drinker mostly, and I was trying to figure out how, how I would know the difference. But, oh, my goodness, is there a difference between water? I mean, you would never realize it until you drink uh, probably how many cups did I have? 21 the first round, 20 the second round, mm-hmm. seven the next round, and 17 sparkling waters. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this then. Are you able to relay some of the information that you're given? Because obviously they train you guys uh, to judge this event. In front of me right now, I have a bottle of Deer Park water that has since been refilled by the water cooler that we have here at work. When I take a sip of water, what should I be focusing on uh, when it comes to judging water? Okay, the first thing you do is you get a white sheet of paper and mm. you look at the color. If the color is off, it means it could be have algae or iron in it. So that's the first thing. A lot, I mean, I didn't have any that I noticed had, that were off in color. So that's a really good thing. Um, the second is you take three sniffs. You want to know the odor. And when it was the tap, more tap water round, um, you could tell there was chlorine. Mm. Like if you go to the beach and have water from the faucets there at the beach, you can tell that it's been filtered with, you know, certain chemicals. So you, you look, you smell for that. Then you put it in your mouth, you swish it in your mouth and you taste for the flavor, the aftertaste, because it sometimes will be okay in your mouth, but then you'll swallow it and there's an aftertaste. And then there's a mouth feel. Like, do you, does it feel dry? Do you feel satisfied after you drink it? Does your water and feel then, dry, Luke? I was going to say, I, so far, <laughs> I have not located any algae. I can't smell anything right now because I've got a little bit of a cold. So that one, I'm out on that one. Uh, but uh, as far as feel and aftertaste, I think uh, this probably wouldn't win any awards with the water that we have in the office. It, it's solid. It's He's been table. dutifully following the steps as you mentioned them, Danielle. <laughs> And then you have your overall rating. Like, I would never, like, number one was I would never drink this to all the way to this. Yes, I would love to have this every day as my drinking water. So, did you have any ones? Um, 
I had twos. Mm. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Now, the round that was hardest for me was the sparkling water because I don't like sparkling water. Same. Um, yeah, that was tough. But then you just yeah. had to kind of suck it up and say, well, okay, among these that I really don't like, which one is best? Right. And the thing is, is that even my, my kids at home, I sent them a picture um, my son, who's 12, he goes, oh, my goodness, do you have to drink all that? Actually, when you do it, you get to take a sip, just like when you do a wine tasting. Mm. Like, you don't drink the whole glass. You just <laughs> take a sip. Thank so. goodness, right? <laughs> yeah. Did you feel a lot of pressure? Because I know when, when Jordan and I were there last year, you could feel people were really observing the judges. This is a big deal. Like, I didn't realize how many people would be there, like, watching us. <laughs> and it was live streamed and everything because there's a lot of international water. There was ones from Australia, Canada, uh, Greece. Um, so, you know, yeah, you have cameras on you and you have spotlights on you the whole time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you manage to have fun, though? Because I know, you know, you, you're probably a lot like me. You took it very seriously. You really tried to follow the instructions and do the best job you could. But were you able to enjoy your evening? I was. Uh, I got to meet a lot of people. I had a gentleman from San Diego beside me that does a podcast. And then on the other side of me was a lady from Harrisburg. Um, she's done this for like three years. But we had a lot of newbies this year. Um, but there was one gentleman there, um, Mark Cram. You might uh, re- re- um, recognize his name from, uh, you know, our local t- Channel 25 station that we right. have. Um, he's been doing it for 26 years. So he's he keeps coming back. So Yeah, he was, he was a lot of fun last year. And it was good to learn from someone like him who had been around the block. Well, we had, we um, put the list of winners, the link to that on our, on our panhandle news network, uh, com website. But it was notable that in the top five, uh, there was a, a, a water from little Orleans, a water from Harper's Ferry. And of course, Berkeley Springs. Yes, that was, and the whole place cheered. It was, it was so exciting. And then the big thing everybody told me to stay around is the water rush. Now, Marcia, I don't know if you stayed around for that last year. <laughs> I, d- I do believe we saw that. Yes, it looked yeah. chaotic. <laughs> like I didn't know what to expect, but they have all the bottles sitting around from all the different things we, you know, got to taste throughout the day. Now they let us judges go and pick a few bottles for our own. But people come there. I mean, there's probably about, I'd say, 50, 40, 50 people. And they have to sign a waiver. Yeah, they have to sign a waiver. (laughs) And they had a bag. They each had bags. And they went in there, and they just start grabbing the bottle. And Jill Klein Roan, who was uh, the hostess and everything, she had to stop everybody because if you think about it, there are glass uh, bottles of water. So, (laughs) you know, you've got to be very careful. And she's like, everybody okay? Take a breath, you know. (laughs) Well, so you mentioned that you got to, to take a couple of bottles home for yourself. I mean, was there an overall overarching favorite for you from the weekend? Um, we don't know uh, which water is which, but we got to also vote, and the public did too, on which bottle designs were our favorites. And I actually, without even realizing the results, I grabbed the top three. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, and one was like um, from Greece. One was from I'm not sure where it's from. And Virginia then the one... and Pennsylvania. So, the, so can you tell us about the one that won? Was Wilderness Mountain Water Company? What 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 made that stand out? So it they were actually there, and people were able to talk to them. And it was a can, 
and it had a woolly mammoth on there. And everybody thought it was an elephant. <laughs> so it looks like an elephant. Even when I took it home, my kids were like, is that an elephant? No, it's a woolly mammoth. So water in a, in a can, is that, I mean, that's got to be towards the bottom of receptacles that you want to drink water out of, right? <laughs> well, this was sparkling mountain water. Oh, okay. So I think it keeps that Christmas, Christmas in there. Gotcha. So, yeah. So do you think you, you might get invited back next year? Would, would you want to go again? I, I wouldn't mind doing it again. I hope to be invited because uh, I want to see how it is like the second year. You sure. know, now that I know what has what goes on and what happens and everything, I always like to do it and experience a second time. And it's so. it's uh, fascinating because you know you don't know that something this huge is happening right in town, but it draws so many people, as you mentioned, from other other countries. Folks are observing from afar. Last year, we, we got our picture taken with a Korean water company water drop mascot. Uh, so it's just such a neat little festival. Yes, and it happens every February, and next year is the 35th, and they were kind of teasing that it's going to be like some special things that they're planning on Ooh. next year. Very yeah. cool. Well, of course, Danielle Hedges is our guest from our sister station over there in uh, Morgan County, Cool 92.9. Obviously, a a pretty heavy, cool presence there over the weekend. What else is going on in the station? For people unfamiliar, of course, uh, you guys have gone through a change here in the last couple of months. Uh, What's on the horizon for Cool? Well, we um, have, uh, of course, we play Morgan County's greatest hits. We play a mix of 60s, excuse me, 70s and 80s music, which is always really cool to have on in the office. But we also have a great feature called Community Conversations, and we've been talking to people in the area with their organizations um, and also um, getting some updates on Berkeley Springs um, athletics. Like uh, tomorrow, um, the boys' basketball starts sectional play against Kaiser. So, you know, just to know that kind of stuff in our area and getting that out to everybody, I've really been enjoying that. You've also been giving out some donuts. (laughs) Yeah. We've partnered with Hobo's Donuts, and um, people can nominate their favorite business at our Facebook page, um, excuse me, our website, 929WXDC.com. And if we pick your favorite business, then you get two dozen donuts from Hobo's Donuts, and they are amazing. (laughs) Very good. Well, uh, Danielle Hedges, uh, it sounds as though it was a fun weekend. We really appreciate you coming on and giving us the time this morning. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Take care, Danielle. Uh, seems like a fun event there. I didn't get the chance to do it. Like I said, I didn't make the Shepherd trip on Saturday, Marsha. Thought about going over to Berkeley Springs. It sounds like I missed out. Oh, it's it's a lot of fun and uh, you know, quite the festival atmosphere. So if you if you haven't ever gotten a chance to go, you should try at least once. Uh, do you remember? I guess like she said, you don't know what you, you don't voted know. for being your favorite. We we kind of could figure out afterwards kind of what we, you know, because we talked to a few of the, you know, like Mark, and we were kind of comparing notes after the fact. Um, and so we could kind of figure out that, that some of the ones that we really liked were actually the winners. But I couldn't tell you which ones they were. I will tell you, uh, with all that water that I consumed, one of the best local waters definitely always Berkeley Springs. Absolutely. I'll tell you, my, my mom grew up on well water. So when I grew up in Morgantown, we only drank, you know, spring water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I've had a little bit of a developed water mm-hmm. palette, I guess, through the years. Uh, and so I'm going to have to go check it out next time Absolutely. it comes around. Uh, then, like she mentioned, next year will be the 35th. So Big time. Uh, Big time coming to Berkeley Springs. And uh, whenever you're done listening to some of the great content we have here on uh, 
on the Panhandle News Network. Always a good time uh, to flip over to Cool 92.9 WXDC. Uh, great music, some great talent that they have on that station, and it's been fun to watch it kind of develop and go through this transition. Mm-hmm. That's going to do it for us. Stay tuned. Another edition of Metro News Talk Line is coming up in just a couple of moments. Brad McElhaney to lead on the show. More to come. Tony Caridi a little bit later on talking about the end of the WVU season. As I mentioned, we've got a sports-related article coming out, Panhandle News Network, a little bit later on today. And we've got seven games, live games, over the next five ga- days starting tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss that. For Marsh Kavalik, I've been Luke Wicks. We'll talk to you tomorrow. and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here, too.